I love hearing you sing. It's wonderful. So at Rimrock Church, we desire to be a community being transformed by Jesus Christ. We believe that's possible. We believe it's possible to be a community. We believe it's possible to be transformed because of Jesus Christ. And we are working through a series on the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about transformation. What does that mean for our lives? It's very practical. But before we get into the practical side of the sermon, we begin with nine, um, some people, we have about eight or nine statements where Jesus says, blessed, blessed. And I would like us to maybe stand, I know you just sat down, but if you would be willing to stand again, and I'd like to read these out loud all together, starting in verse one of chapter five, it should be on the screen, and would you read these words with me? Starting in verse 1, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Amen. You may be seated. So we are surrounded by a world that has a script or messages about success and fulfillment in life. And one of the ways that we are looking at these words of Jesus is he's flipping the script. He's inviting us to a a different kind of life, a different kind of being that ultimately will bring fulfillment and blessing and success to us and to human beings. And so Jesus flips the script. And I want to talk a little bit this morning as we go into verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst about desire. I think hunger and thirst are, are great pictures of human desire. And um, our world talks a lot about desire because it's, it's deeply ingrained in the human experience and who we are. We are desiring beings. We hunger and we thirst. And you see it from the little baby who first comes into the world hungering for, thirsting for milk. But very quickly, we begin to realize that our desires aren't just limited to food and drink, right? We realize as we get older that we have many desires for many different things. And I think there's two messages, two scripts about desire that um, are ingrained in in humanity across culture, across the world. And, And this is maybe a little simplistic, but I think it gets to something that's true and it's, it's a twisting on what is good because I think God created desire in us and desire is a good thing, but it's been twisted. And one of the ways we see this is what is called hedonism, which is basically just every desire in our hearts, in our lives is to be pursued no matter what. 
And this is, the, this is the soup we are deeply in as a culture right now. Uh, the phrase, just do it, you know, go for it. It's, it's ingrained in all of our cultural stories and messaging where if you feel something, you should pursue it, you should do it. And this kind of hedonism is everywhere and we see the fruit of that. And I'll talk a little more about some of the fruit of those things. But the other side of desire that I think is a twisting, is not from God, is wrong, is it shows up many times in religiosity, is really this, this idea that we must suppress or destroy desire. And this shows up in Eastern type religions like Buddhism where the whole goal is to escape desire. It can also show up in, 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 in other religions and even in Christianity. We've, maybe some of you have experienced this kind of idea of legalism or asceticism where, where you either cover up or you seek to suppress or destroy human desire. And I believe these are both wrong. These are messages of the world. Ultimately, I think of Satan which ultimately destroy us as human beings. The good news is I think God has another plan for our desires. But I wanna, before we dive in, I wanna talk about three things that I see in our culture around desire, and these are messages that, that we're just so bombarded with. One is about sexual desire. And I think a good part of that is that as human beings, and I think this is from God, we desire intimacy and relationship. That's a good thing. But we see how that gets twisted and shows up both in hedonism and in suppression where it ends up causing so much pain. And we see the fruit of that in our world, whether it's broken relationships, we see it in orphaned children, and the terrible things of abortion, and disease, the objectification of people, the dehumanizing of people through pornography. All of this is fruits of desire gone awry in our world. What about material desire? And I think there's a good thing of the desire for security, of salvation, of meeting our physical needs. That's good and from God. But we see the twisting where it ends up resulting in greed and the abuse of people and envy and covetousness where people are desiring material things at any cost. And we see so much destruction and pain from this desire around us. And the third one I want to point out is the desire for power. And I think there's a good side of this that's from God where I think as people we desire significance and purpose. And that's a good thing. But the twisting and the darkness of the abuse of people, of lies, of deception, manipulation, anger, violence, all of these are manifestations of desire gone awry in the human experience. So those are three. There's many more, but I think those three are, are so big in our culture and things we hear, messages, invitations that we receive. And, and we must realize those and see how they've been twisted and abused and caused so much harm. If you think about it, in James it says, why are there conflicts? Why is there struggle? Why is there war? And, and what James says, it's because there's desires within you. And so we have these desires, we have these wants, these needs 
that we begin to try to live out in wrong ways, and the result of that is we clash with other people. And so if we think about it, each one of us has our own like little kingdom, and then my desires bump into someone else's, and then what do you have? You have conflict. You have fighting. And this happens on the personal level. It also happens on national level and world level, where you see conflict, isolation, emptiness, and ultimately war which I think at the very core is human desire gone awry. This last week, uh, we have a, a group here at, at Rimrock who've been meeting for the last eight months talking about discipleship and what that means for us at, at Rimrock Church. And uh, it's been a wonderful uh, time to seek God together. But uh, this past week, uh, one of our members, Chris Schmidt, came and she had just gotten back from a trip to Virginia. And she told us a story that was gripping. And, and I want to tell you the story. And it impacted her personally in a, in a, in a wonderful way. But, but I want to share this story because I think it's related to this scripture. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So we know as Americans that we've had a series of wars in our history, but probably one of the most painful of all the wars was the Civil War for us as a nation. And what was so painful about that is the reality that we were fighting our own and even families were divided and even um, people who had common ancestors were, were killing each other. It was horrible. And in Virginia, there's a statue, and I want to show you the picture. Chris Schmidt took this picture. And even the, the remnants of, of that conflict are still found in our culture, and, and many statues are being torn down. But this is one that's not been torn down. And I want to tell you the story behind it, because I think it highlights something about desire and what God wants to do in our world. So you, the Union Army and the Confederate Army were, were at, uh, had this battle in Virginia, in uh, Fredericksburg, Virginia, and the unions uh, made a, a terrible strategic decision, and they went into this battle unprepared, and they got caught, and the Confederates just, they killed many, many Union soldiers. And so the two opposing sides were divided, and there was a field of battle, and there was walls, and there were all these wounded, dying men out on the battlefield. And on the Confederate side, there was a young boy, he was only 19 years old, but his name was Richard Kirkland, and he was hearing, along with everyone else, these cries of these wounded, dying men saying, we're thirsty, give us water, and they're crying out. But no one's going because the two opposing sides are, are still shooting at each other. And so Richard, his heart was moved, and he told his general, I want to go out there and I want to give water to these guys. Now remember, this is opposing soldiers. And the general said, no, I, I can't let you do that. You'll get shot. You'll get killed. But he said, uh, he kept insisting, I, I got to go. I got to go. And so finally, the general said, fine, but you're, you're probably going to die, and I can't guarantee you'll, you'll survive this. So he grabbed as many canteens as he could, and he began to go out and give water to these men, one after another. And the other side, the Union soldiers stopped shooting because they realized what this guy was doing. And it just got quiet. And they started to cheer this guy on. And, and this story struck me in so many ways about the human condition. If you think about the complexity of the Civil War and all the desires and, and struggle that led to that moment. But in this 
in this one battle, there was like this light <laughs> that shone through about a higher kind of desire, a greater kind of desire. And Richard showed a bravery and showed, as it's, this monument says, a sublime compassion that broke into the midst of a conflict to show a new and different kind of way. And so when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. We see glimpses of this in this world, and we see glimpses of what God is doing in our world, even in the chaos and the conflict of our world. As we go through the Sermon on the Mount, um, we are looking at these statements that Jesus makes. And, and as we go through this um, sermon, we're going to find so many practical daily realities of life. But the foundation of understanding what Jesus is talking about, we have to understand these statements of blessing. And we have to understand the meaning of blessing according to what Jesus is saying. See, this blessing is an invitation to a new kind of being in Jesus. Jesus is declaring here that blessed, this very word, is highlighting our need for God. That there is no blessing outside of God. That God himself, he alone, is the source of blessing. And Jesus is declaring that I am he. He preached this basic, simple, powerful message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's near. It's here. <laughs> and so Jesus is declaring blessing because of his presence, the presence of God among people. And so there's two things going on. There's an invitation to Jesus himself that he is blessing. He is the source of blessing. But there is also an invitation to a new kind of being, a new way of being human. And it's found in Jesus, but it's a reality that we can be made into a new kind of person. And so these are, in a sense, there's an invitation to Jesus himself and to a new way of being, a new way of valuing life in this world. And so the basic questions that Jesus is addressing is, what kind of person will you be? What does it mean to be a well-off person? What is the true definition of human success and fulfillment and satisfaction? You see, I think we're all made with this great deep desire for happiness and satisfaction and fulfillment. And Jesus is saying, I'm it. <laughs> I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he's also saying, come, let me invite you to a new kind of being. We're going to get into this in, so, in such a profound way throughout this sermon, but I want to introduce the idea here that what Jesus is ultimately addressing here is not um, just acting upon God's regulations or laws. Rather, he's inviting us to a new kind of way of being in our hearts. He's talking about a heart issue of who we are deep down inside where no one else can see. What will govern our lives? What, what will determine our will? And I believe Jesus is ultimately inviting us to discipleship. I began this series by saying either you're in the crowd 
or you're a disciple. And, and, and Jesus is really inviting us to become disciples. It's an invitation to give him our hearts, to become learners of his kingdom and of his will. And I love what Bill Ewing said when he talked about being poor in spirit. is just this absolute recognition of our absolute poverty outside of God. We cannot be these kind of people. We cannot have these kind of hearts without God. It's impossible on our own. So we must, in a sense, abandon ourselves to him and his way of life. So that's the invitation. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So I began by saying this world has a script about desire. Well, Jesus here tells us that desire is not to be uh, consumed with whatever we want or to be suppressed or is destroyed in our lives. Rather, it's to be transformed. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying there's blessing in desire and hunger and thirsting for righteousness. And so what he is saying is desire is good, but it must be changed in the human heart. I love what C.S. Lewis says. I think this is one of his best quotes. He says, if you find yourself with a desire that no experience in this world can satisfy, then the most probable explanation is that you were made for another world. <laughs> and I love that because it shows us that desire is a, is a good thing, but the world's ways doesn't ultimately satisfy or fulfill us. It's only God's way. And the invitation of Jesus is to the kingdom of God, another world, another way of being where God himself is the governor, government. He is the ruler. He is the one in charge. He, it is his will and his action that are ultimate reality for our lives and for our world. Here's the other thing I, about transforming our desire that I think is so important. God does not force himself on us. That, that is so crucial. The, the Bible reveals a God of love, like a father. Or in the Old Testament, the other image that we're told about God is that he's a lover. He's one who invites and pursues and woos people to himself. He does not force or abuse. Rather, he invites and he woos us to himself. He invites us he doesn't force us. He's not there with a bat. He's not there to, 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 with a sword. He's there as a lover, as a father. And his desire is delight. <laughs> he is a God of joy and delight. And so he presents himself in such a way that if you do not want him, you can deny him. But if you desire him, he is there for you. This is so important, and we have to understand this, of what Jesus is saying when he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, is, is there's an invitation, but it's not forced upon any man or woman or child. I love what Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts, your affections, your desire on things above 
And so there's the invitation. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Many people in Jesus' day rejected him. They, they did not want what Jesus had to offer. And many people today continue to. And God allows that. He allows people to deny him, or he allows and, and invites you to choose him and his ways. That's the invitation here. So let's talk about righteousness. As we think about hunger and thirst and desire, the goal is righteousness. The goal is righteousness. This word that is used here has there's an aspect of it that has to do with God, but most of the emphasis of this word that Jesus uses has to do with our, our relationships with other people, with other people. But God is the definition of this. I like to define this righteousness as a delight and love in what is right, good, and true. What is right, good, and true. And God invites us to delight and love those kind of things. And so as we think about this righteousness and, and that comes from God but is, is manifested in all of our human relationships, in all of our ways of being in the world, and you can think about all the, the aspects of that, whether it's work or home or school or, or out in creation or whatever aspect of life that you think about, that there is a right way in a good way, in a true way to live. That is what this word is talking about. Now, later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to contrast that kind of righteousness with a self-righteousness, a self-righteousness. So this kind of righteousness is from God. It's revealed to us by God, and it's really an invitation to God's kind of way. But it, there's a clash, because later in the sermon... Jesus talks about the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And we're going to talk a lot about it in this sermon because there's a, there's a conflict, there's a clash between self-righteousness and then the kind of righteousness that God talks about. Now, we can't miss this because if we come to the Sermon on the Mount and we kind of pick ourselves up by the bootstrap and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this happen somehow in my own way. And our culture is filled with this self-help, self-discovery. Uh, that is the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And that is in direct contrast with the righteousness that Jesus says that God desires, which surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. So self-righteousness is consumed with what? Outward appearance and outward action. But what is God after? Our hearts. God is after the essence of our being. And so it's not about just doing certain things or not doing certain things. It's about what kind of person are we? What kind of person are you? What kind of person and I? And so this goes way beyond just the outward conformity. It goes into the very core of who we are as human beings. So where do we see this clash most clearly? It's at the cross. <laughs> it's at the cross. We are entering a season that traditionally is called Lent, where as 
historically, the church has examined the human condition and prepared our thoughts and our minds and our hearts for the reality of the cross. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, he came as, as the perfectly righteous man. And how is that seen? In how he lived. We know he's righteous in how he lived because he gave love to everyone. He opened the door through compassion and love and grace to people, through healing, through touching, through restoring, through forgiving, through living a perfectly righteous life. What, remember, what is right, true, and good. That is the life of Jesus. Yet, there came this moment where the desires and the passions of the people came into conflict with that perfect righteousness of Jesus. And the result was Jesus, the Son of God, the perfect man, the Son of God, nailed to a cross, being whipped and beaten, insulted, spit upon. And you ask, how is that possible? Well, it's possible because of our condition, our self-righteous condition. And the reality of the sin of the, or the, the righteousness of the sin and Pharisees is our problem as well. Because we crucified Jesus as well. In our own efforts, in our own desires, it came into conflict, contrast with the righteousness of God. But think about the cross, where Jesus is up there and, and you see the, the anger, the violence, the cruelty of the human condition. You see Jesus on the cross, and what does he say? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. You see, God's will is to redeem and to save. <laughs> and so the cross becomes this breaking point between our self-righteousness and the righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God breaks into human history, and it creates a new possibility, a new reality that we can walk and live in a new kind of way. And so now in the Bible, we're told the righteousness of Christ is now given, imputed to us. <laughs> and this is the beautiful message of the cross. And this gets into the promise. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You see, all those desires that stir in the human heart, only God can fulfill and he does it. He makes it possible because he transforms our desires that lead to self-righteousness and he transforms them into the righteousness of Christ. And we are now being created to be new and fully human in a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others. I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. He says, I've learned and, and and, and when we talk about discipleship, this is a process. It's learning. We're learning this new way that God has made possible. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation. He's talking about hunger and thirst, but he's talking about something greater. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, and listen to these words, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Amen. The righteousness of Jesus made available to us. It's possible. Transformation is possible in Jesus. 
So three application points for us this morning. Sometimes we don't even realize those hungers, those thirsts, those desires in our lives. And I think it's good to stop and examine. Examine where are we and be honest, what desires are in my heart? And have I bought in to the script of the world in some area in my life? And, and let me just, one way this shows up, if, if there is conflict in your life, if, if your marriage is struggling, if you're fighting, if there's fighting and conflict in your life, there's probably desires deep in there that's, ca that's causing some of those things. And so this is an opportunity that to do work that only you can do, no one else can do, is look in your heart where no one else can see, no one else can judge. Only you know, only God knows what's stirring, what desires are in your own heart. And then second, catch a vision for the righteousness of Christ. <laughs> see the beautiful invitation to the righteousness of God. This new delight in what is good, right, and true and realize that God can satisfy those deepest desires in your life, that it's possible to be fulfilled and filled. One way people have, have approached this, and we're going to talk more about this in the Sermon on the Mount, is fasting. Now, there's a, there's a self-righteous way to fast, but then there's a, there's a beautiful, righteous way to fast that Jesus talks about. But in this Lenten season, many people choose to, to set aside things that have to do with desires in their own hearts. And as you set those aside, you begin to learn that God can fulfill, that God can transform, that God can change those desires, and that they don't need to be suppressed, but they need to be transformed and changed into something beautiful and good and right and true. And then the third application point and this, my dear friends, can be the hardest one, but it's, it's, it's a beautiful one. We need to receive the, f the filling of God. <laughs> God God's not going to force it on us. We have to be open to what God wants to give us. <laughs> we have to receive what he wants to give us. And so examine your own heart. What are the desires in your life right now? Catch a vision for the righteousness of Jesus and what he can do in your life and receive what only God can give. As the worship team comes up, I want to share a psalm that I have been meditating on this week. Psalm 37, and it speaks to this reality of the human condition and what God is doing in transforming our desires. It says, do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. But here's the invitation. Trust, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord. That's the transformation. For he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn and your vindication like the noonday sun. Praise God.